Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Murphy Monday podcast, where every Monday we celebrate the life and career of Eddie Murphy. I am your host, Nigel A. Fullerton. This week, I'm on the road. Uh, I have a couple episodes that I need to put out soon and very soon. But this week, there will be no episode. Just letting you guys know, this is a heads up. There'll be no episode this week. However, this week, I did not want to leave the audience hanging. This is a conversation, uh, part one of a conversation that I had with my good friend, Rob Santos, the comedian. Uh, he, he has a dozen projects on the way. He speaks about some of them in this interview. Um, this is half of what we were trying to do. We recorded a episode honoring the stand-up special Delirious. This is part one of that conversation. In this talk, we speak about what Rob has going on, Paul Mooney and his importance on stand-up comedy, and what it's like to be a 22-year-old kid and have your first special. If you haven't already, please like, share, and subscribe. Tell an Eddie Murphy fan to tell an Eddie Murphy fan that you love this podcast. With all hearts and minds clear, let's listen to this mini-episode. We've been waiting for a long time. Yes, we've been waiting for a long, long time. Good morning, my neighbors. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is becoming very irritating. This is like being on your podcast is great. I'm. It feels good. feels like old times. Yeah, It really man. does. Every time we that. get on. Every, I yeah. miss you too, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to front. I just yeah. I miss all the days at, like, New York Comedy Club coming up, man. Broadway, all the shitty spots that we were at. The mics. Just, I, I the come up was just so amazing for, uh, for myself. I, I'm, like, living in Connecticut doing comedy is tough because it's just, you know? Mm. But. I remember the togetherness that we had coming up. I mean, there was there were some people that were like, you know, that were like that, but it wasn't. It was more harmonious than anything, in my opinion. Yeah, it it was. I mean, we all we all knew each other. We all would see each other at the same spots. Uh, you know, like I would I would always be buying Naruto drinks or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Naruto, yo, yeah, yeah, man. Driving them back to Harlem like at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh shit, dude! Uh, uh, that's I remember like him. He and I used to walk around Harlem just talking, shop, and just hanging out. And yeah, he's he's definitely someone I I, I miss as well. It's just those were just great times, man. And then you see people that fell off and see some of the guys that we know that got put on, and mm -hmm. you know they just they you know some guys just were lucky, man. There were some just lucky dudes, man. Yeah, some, you know, right place, right time. You know, what I'm saying like it's you never know. Like you never know what's gonna happen, but I'm excited for your journey, man. You got some projects coming out, man. Like I've I've yeah. seen some little bits and pieces on Instagram, like you showing like little bits and pieces. Talk to us yeah, about yeah. what's going on with you, man. Oh, so like I, so I, I I'm just trying my best. <laughs> That's all. I, like like yeah. just I'm. Cause you're moving to LA, right? Yeah. yeah. Cause that's what, cause you're like, you're looking at, like you're looking to transition and get out. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have the means in which to do so. Like you can go, like, I want to leave Connecticut. I really do. But my roots are here now. 
My daughter goes to school. She's going into fourth grade next year. She's in a school system that's going to help her out academically, mentally, and emotionally. And she goes, she's in a a white school system. So they have the resources, right? Like, um, and she's, she's struggling a little bit in school, but we live in Hartford, you know, so she's struggling in school at the white school. But I always said, if she was going to the black school in Hartford, you know, she would be on honor roll. Like that's how, that's how the discrepancy is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've, I've gone through that. I've gone through that uh, in Long Island because I went mm. from predominantly black school to predominantly white school, and mm-hmm. I was on honor roll in the predominantly black school. Right, black school, I was a C student. It was like, oh, okay. It was it, exactly it's yeah. fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. And so the point of that is, is that she's we're building something for her future. Mm-hmm. Do I want to jeopardize that right now? So now I'm in a situation with how do I make the best of where I'm at? Mm-hmm. So I, when I came back, I tried to go back to New York in 2015, came back in 2017. It just didn't work. Gentrification, you know, and plus I was going through some mental, emotional stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I figured out what I live with, with my mental health. And when I got back, I started doing, a friend of mine suggested, Hey, you want to do, you want to do a comedy workshop? I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. So then I had this idea, you know, he's like, well, what is your idea for us? Like, wouldn't it be dope therapy for comedians mm-hmm. and help them out with their material at the same time. And that I'd end up doing like three, four workshops at this one place out in, in Connecticut. And then I ended up transitioning on my own because I just felt like I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Right. And that really started getting some notoriety some recognition. Uh, you know, guys out here were hating on it, which is another sign that it's doing well. And, you know, I was hoping dozens of comedians just, you know, with their, with their work and with their mental and emotional state and just digging and finding who they are. I basically took all the silly ass some good, some bad uh, uh, stand-up comedy workshops and just flipped it. And then I went into schools with it. So now with Each One Teach One, we're trying to turn it into a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the uh, that's one of the things that we got going on. Um, obviously, you know, my logo here with my yep. base show and my regular hair logo, we're getting merch. Like I'm realizing how marketable I am, how I'm willing, I can cross over. I, I, I could, like, now I'm understanding business. I had my show in the beginning that I was working on with somebody uh, and that fell apart, but I learned trademarking, I learned copywriting, I learned all these things because of that poor, that tough situation. And I thought to myself, like, man, if I was in New York, man, that could have been crazy. Yeah. So, cause I remember being in a city right before I left, I remember seeing everyone getting put on, right. Mm-hmm. You know, just got like one week they were doing 1am shows with me. And then like next week they're on like getting nine o'clock slots. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like what the hell's happening? Right. You know? And, and I, and I would talk to the guys and they would, and they would hinge their happiness on, on their success. And I thought to myself, I don't want that. Right. Right. I was like, I no, there's something wrong. And I know there's something wrong with me upstairs. And then my daughter, she showed up, you know, with, you know, when we conceived, we, we had her in Connecticut and I was like, yeah, I got to get the fuck out of here before I flip. Yeah. And I had these ideas in my head and then going into coming back to Connecticut was just easier. So now when my daughter was born, like 2012, about two, three years later, I had this idea for beige. And it fell apart the first time. I had a production deal actually with a local TV network out here to mm. write the show. And I was going to get eight episodes. And, and it wasn't even a production deal to, to, to star in it. It was just to write the show. Right. And so to have that fall apart hurt like hell. Because mm. now, I'm, now I'm like back with everyone else. So about three years later, about yeah, three years later, my buddy, he hits me up. like, yo, you want to do beige again? And like, yeah, sure. Mm. So back so 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 put it all together being back in new york seeing how everything happened 
watching guys hinge their success on their mental, emotional health. If I hadn't made that choice, I don't know if I would have been able to handle that pitfall that I had handled. Because even though some of the guys that got put on, now they're you know successful in a certain sense, they couldn't handle the pandemic. I could handle the pandemic. I was still running my workshops. I was still making some money during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did the proof of concept for beige. And now we're in pre-production. We raised about 10 grand just off of um, an Indiegogo campaign. Oh. Now we're we're going to start shooting in August and we don't know what it's going to be. We're doing an indie thing, see if someone likes it, do three episodes and then hopefully get more funding to do the last three episodes. And maybe someone will like it. We can do the, uh, what's her name? The all for black girl. Um, Issa, Rae. Issa Rae thing, right? Mm-hmm. Do this grassroots thing. And so beige is taking up a lot of my time. And that's, to me, it's about a dude with mental health issues, about a stand-up comedian coming out of a mental institution mm-hmm. instead of coming out of a prison like we're normally used to saying. And how how is he going yeah, to adapt to this world around him, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's where it comes from. So, like, I bring all that other stuff up to kind of give you context to where I am right now mm-hmm. because I couldn't have done that 2011, 2012. Right. Um, the maturity that I've had over time has put me in this position to be to to be where I'm at and to go ahead and 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 just find a way to find a way to success my way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because I it's funny we would because you you know Murphy Mondays right? You were we we were talking about delirious. Imagine being 22 years old having the world on your shoulders. Oh yeah! Imagine <laughs> not even 22, 19. Yeah, man. having the world on your shoulders. Like your his yeah. first his first uh television gig, you know, right out of high school, mm-hmm. you know, two weeks into college, it's Saturday Night Live. I was faced with choosing another career. I, I think I'd go crazy. There's nothing else I could do. I decided a very young I'm 19 now. I decided when I was 17 that I wanted to go into this for real. And I was familiar with stand-up comedy and entertainment since I was 15. A lot of kids tell their parents they want to be doctors and lawyers and garbage like that. But I want to be a stand-up comedian. I told my parents that. And everything's working out for me fine. I'm growing constantly on stage and everything is working out for me. Uh, I like very much the imitations you did. The impressions were great. I want to get I say, famous by the time I'm 21. I'm 19 now. I give myself two years. One day, Monday night audition night, this young fella comes in. 17 years old. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're kind of loose around here, and we're a happy family. But I was not really ready for Eddie Murphy because he walks in and says, Well, I'm here, and the show can start. Well, it all happened according to Eddie's schedule. Right after losing the big laugh off, he was cast on Saturday Night Live. Yep. And you are the second black person to be on the show. Right. Not first, you are the second. So you have shoes to fill for for mm. the, the, the the second person like you are the only person this is the hottest show the first the first original cast is all gone right so mm. you, you're in the sixth season um yeah because it was five seasons of the original cast and the sixth season where there's all new people and yeah. you know you got people like charles rocket and gilbert godfrey and like mm. you know yeah, joe yeah. piscopo and you have this one guy that's he's he's on the end He's one of those not ready for primetime players that's like a featured cast member or like yeah yeah it, it it's it's weird but then you see this guy steal the whole show 
at 19. Right. Crazy. And the, and the crazy thing is, too, is he wasn't even the first choice to be on the show. We've talked about that before, you know, the, yeah, so yeah. Many rumors about Robert Townsend and Charlie Barnett and like, you know, yeah. whoever else was hot at the time. That's funny. That, like, wow. Because now you got me going back in memory lane. It's mm-hmm. interesting. And and someone like what well, Paul Mooney just died today. Right. Yeah. And then you had someone like him being as provocative as he was during that time span, too. You know, right. so it's. Wow, I just I'm just sort of like you got me going back, man. Like I Yeah, it's I it's crazy when we talk about Paul Mooney, like you know, for all the stuff that people know about him or don't know about him, like this man was a writer for Richard Pryor. He he helped form the Richard Pryor show that included yeah. Marsha Warfield, Sandra Bernhardt, Tim Reed, mm-hmm. John Witherspoon, and Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, he yeah. Wrote, see you. Wrote Homie the Clown. Wow. Yeah. Which is compelling stuff when you think about it. And then he had his misgivings, which didn't allow him to be as successful as he could have been. Right. You know, some, you know, stuff I don't want to say, but, you yeah. know, we, some people, yeah, we, we've all heard the stories. Right. And I remember walking him to Caroline's one night. He let me walk him to Caroline's. This is oh, why wow. we first started out, man. Yeah. And I was just, he's like, is it all right if I walk? He's like, I'm going to work. And it's like, oh, I don't want to hold you up. He's like, hey, why don't you walk with me? I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. We So we were at Broadway. So we went all the way from Broadway Caroline's. to uh, to Caroline's. And it was, it, it was, it was a, such a great experience for me. I, I can't remember what we were talking about, but I just remember him being nice to me in that moment. Because I told him I was a young comedian. I told him how much I revered him. Uh, I remember him saying, just be yourself. Right. Like that, at all costs. I remember him saying that at all costs, just be yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't let no one tell you to be anything that you, you're not. And I remember that and, I, and, it, and it stuck with me and I embraced that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why to connect everything, like, you know, that decision I made in 2011 to come back home and seeing how things were, I just felt like, mm-hmm. I wasn't being myself because I didn't, I was out of touch with myself. Right. You know what I mean? Which is a very weird sentence to say, but, um, but no, I was like, sort of just like, like losing it. And then, and then now that I think about it, right. Bring it back with Eddie. It's just like 19 years old coming up like that. And then when he did delirious, I think he was like 22. He said on stage that day. (laughs) Yeah. And I can only imagine what that pressure might've felt like I'm 38 years old and I am, still trying to quote unquote make it and i'm sort of trying to understand the pressure of having people respect what i do put time money and effort into me and and trying to do my end of the bargain you know without buckling i can only imagine what that was like to be that sensational that talented have everybody jumping at you because you're that great so young so fast it it must have been crazy for them that's what's happening. I like Elvis Presley. Really, I give credit where credit is due. El- when Elvis was young, he was a bad motherfucker, boy. Elvis was bad. He was vicious. Sing his ass off. He sang so good, they let him do movies. He couldn't act. They said, fuck it, let him sing all his dialogue. They did. Everything Elvis said, he said, Elvis, we gotta win this race. We gotta win this race. <laughs> Elvis, want some lemonade? Lemonade. That cool, refreshing drink. 
Let him sing till it was over, too. Elvis was 42 years old. Remember right before he croaked? He would come out. His stomach was all fat and shit. And his butt be sticking out and shit. Looking like he had the shit he walk on the stage like this. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every mile, but more. What's more than this? Excuse me. Thank you guys for listening to this mini episode. Part two is coming next week. If you love this episode, please share with everybody. Let them know that you love this episode. I uh, can't wait for you guys to hear the rest. If you got to the end, thank you. Um, I'll be back off the road next week. So definitely, guys, keep me in your prayers. Um, and I can't wait to give you guys some more content. Peace.